On this episode, I interviewed Coach Joey G, who is a head strength and conditioning coach for football at Florida Atlantic University. The main topic of this podcast was speed development and the utilization of tech. We first talked about the Coach Joey's overarching principles within speed and what he looks at to develop the athletes. We then moved into how he utilizes tech to monitor that and to test it, along with how he adjusts his programs uh, when when he takes these measurements. Then we talked about his focuses on the weight room and his focuses on the field. We talked about how sprinting in general is a form of training he uses and how it's not always thought of as a specific training method, but how often he utilizes that and how he utilizes that within the season. Uh, And then we kind of finished on how he takes all this data and everything that he measures and puts it into a way that his coaches, players, and so on can, can understand. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up to date evidence based content and knowledge through your life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Coach Joey G, who is the head strength conditioning for coach for football at Florida Atlantic University. Um, really appreciate being on, Joey. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about speed and the utilization of tech and developing that in the college system, uh, specifically within football. So, uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time to be on. If you could first maybe just introduce yourself a little bit, talk about uh, your background, education, current role, and then we can kind of go from there. Well, first off, appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I came up just like, uh, you know, majority of strength coaches come up. Uh, I was an average athlete in high school, always wanted to figure out how to get better guy. Uh, introduced to training around like 13, 14 years old. So just became addicted to training. I was one of those guys that loved the offseason just as much as the in-season, um, you know, all through high school trying to develop. Went to a junior college and met Dos Remedios, uh, who is a, a strength coach out there. He's big in the power systems tour. There's a ton of clinics. And, uh, you know, just seeing him work and seeing how he did things, I was just like, what is he doing? Like, what is his title? And, and how do I become what he is? Because it just looks like a lot of fun. Um, and it's something that I, I had a real true passion for, and it keeps me around football. Um, I ended up going to University of Sioux Falls. Uh, I'm a Sioux Falls alumni. I uh, won a national championship there with the football team. And uh, I really, kind of, to, to be honest with you, I fell into an unbelievable network of mentors. Um, three of the undergrads currently are head strength coaches at major Division One universities here in the state. So, um, you know, Dom Sadinsky, Tyson Brown, and then Chad Traver all came before me. And when I got there and I told them what I wanted to do, they, they just basically essentially gave me a blueprint. They said, you need to go intern, you need to get experience ASAP. These are the people you need to talk to. And, and I tried to follow it as best as I could. Um, you know, I got a GA ship right out of my undergrad uh, with Joe Long at Northwestern State. Um, you know, I was there for a year, finished all my undergrad work. That was, that was an awesome experience. Got thrown into the fire when I first got there. Uh, he was like, you're going to assist with football. But here are five other sports that you have to program for. Oh, hey, and they start next week. So get, get, get going on get with the coaches and get right. So, you know, that's probably one of the best and most uh, growthful experiences of my life is, as it pertains to profession, is trying to figure out things right then and there, programming, running groups, all my first-time experiences with all those things. And it was just like, you know, it was like drinking water out of a fire hose, but it was worth it because – 
the ability to organize, the ability to deal with coaches, all those things that usually take years happened in a year because of the fact I had so many experiences with that. Uh, I decided to go down to LSU, get an internship. I was there all four weeks before I got a call and asked to uh, interview for the head job back at Northwestern State. Um, you know, gratefully, grateful enough, I actually got hired there as a head strength and conditioning coach. I oversaw 17 sports for two and a half years. Um, and then I got a call from Paul Jackson at Ole Miss. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to come up and be part of his staff as an assistant. And uh, I couldn't turn it down. I said, you know, yes, when you can come. I said, I'm already in the truck. I'm already there. Uh, spent four years at Ole Miss. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience learning from Coach Jackson. Uh, one of the best in the business, in my opinion. The way he talks, it, it captivates the athlete way he connects the athlete and then the, the scientific approach to it you know the, the the way he programs the way he emphasizes specific training attributes it was just it was an unbelievable learning experience um i got a call uh, had an opportunity to go to colorado state uh was there for two years uh became a head, the head strength coach my second year there um you know part of the business our head coach got fired so i got to saw that i got to see that firsthand and that's it's not when you get fired it's it's or excuse me it's not if you get fired it's when you get fired in college football so um, you know, it happens to everybody. You know, Coach Adazio came in, uh, had really good conversations with him, but then this opportunity at Florida Atlantic presented itself, and it was it was a no-brainer. Uh, the kids that we have here working for Coach Tagger and the staff that we have here, I mean, it's just – it's a dream-like scenario. You know, I, I get to wake up and spend every day in paradise in 85-degree weather and where, you know, palm trees are all over the place, so I, I couldn't turn it down. But, you know, I, I'm extremely grateful for how I came up. Uh, I've had – a ton of mentors, a, a ton of great mentors, um, you know, and, and something that I really took to heart, you know, I heard early in my career was like, go find the best ones and, and cut the middleman out and go, go hear it from their mouth. And, uh, you know, if you're a young coach, I highly suggest that's what you do. You go find coaches that have done it and, and repeatedly have done it and won championships and have produced great athletes and produced great results and go find out what they're doing and, and go talk to them because it opens doors. You know, I'm extremely grateful for those mentors that were, that, that helped me really get to me, get me where I'm at right now. Cause I'm not here without any of them. Yeah, for sure. Great advice and, and a great background to, to get where you are now. Um, one thing I guess we can focus on now is, like I said, that speed development and the tech utilization. Uh, I kind of first came across you on Coaches versus COVID, uh, or really got into into what you were doing um, after after watching that. And uh, I really like your thought process and how you program, and and just following some of your stuff on Instagram. I thought um, this definitely looked like one of your one of your strengths. So I guess just you want to maybe talk a little bit about how you kind of became interested in speed development, and then. Um, utilizing that tech as well to, to get the best out of your athletes and, and monitor and make sure your training's doing what it needs to. Yeah, I think, you know, I got into speed development because is I've, I felt really well-versed in Olympic lifting. I came up with Olympic lifting in high school. I got to work under Coach Hatch, you know, Gail Hatch, who was the Olympic weightlifting coach in 2004. I felt really comfortable in that area. And I felt like the one area that I was missing that was kind of like the it factor when it became the hiring people in, in the early 2010s was – was you had to be a speed guy. You know, everyone wanted a speed guy. I remember when Georgia hired a guy specifically, he was speed coordinator, you know, and I was like, I need to, I need to make myself different. I need to get more involved in speed development. And what I didn't realize was that it was going to change my entire training philosophy. It changed everything. It, it was, it was a rabbit hole that I'm still in that it just, it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, you know, so that's why I got into speed training and, and you know, I, I got a hold of early Charlie Francis stuff. And then that led me to, 
you know, Dan Path and, and the Altus and, and, you know, Vershansky. And then all of a sudden it just, it just exploded. And it was like, all right, like there, there's so much stuff that I don't know that I need to get my hands on. And then it changed the way I, I completely view training. You know, it's, I look at it as a lot of football strength coaches look for things to drive the weight room where I'm the opposite. I'm looking for everything to drive the field. I want my main objective, my main philosophy when it comes to training is to create the fastest and most explosive team in the country, not the strongest, not the most toughest or any of those. Cause I feel those are all byproducts of training with aggression intent uh, with violence. And that's what happens when you train with speed. That's what happens when you train with power and rate of force development, you make those emphasis is in your training is you get the byproduct of the tough, violent, explosive kid. Also, it helps when your, your coaches recruit that, you know, there's, there's definitely that portion of it, but th- th- that's my main objective. And that's, that's what I drive. And that's something that I saw as a need. Um, and I, and, you know, like I said, you know, I, I spent three years strictly dedicated just to reading about speed work, trying to call as many coaches as I could. Um, I remember I went to Mike Young's uh, clinic in, in Cary, North Carolina, um, the, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was an unbelievable clinic. And I heard Dan Path talk for about eight hours straight. It was, and that, that changed how I thought. And then two years later, I went back and it was Boo Schechsneider and it was just eight hours of Boo. And if you hear Boo talk, I mean, he's just, he could take the most complex thing and make it simple and make you understand it. And it was just, again, it was, it was, it was like earth shattering to me. Cause I was like, you know, just like every young coach, you think you got things figured out and then you realize how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. And how much you can benefit from what these people are saying and learning more. And, uh, you know, so that's 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 how I got involved with speed training. And that's and then all of a sudden, before I knew it, I, I was like, this is the, this is my number one KPI for, for football when it comes to to my skill and my mids is is speed. And then obviously up front is power, but we also know speed drives power. So, um, yeah, that's that's long, t- long roundabout answer. That's how I got involved. No, awesome. Uh, I guess to kind of build off that then, so speed is kind of the new main focus for you um, that will drive everything. What what are the, I guess, overarching main principles within speed you're looking at to try and develop it? Yeah, so I look at this three pillars of speed, right? Like you got to have, uh, you, you have to be able to apply force as, fa- as, as much force as possible in the minimal amount of time. So there's three things that drive that. I think the first and foremost is relative body strength. Like you have to have a certain degree of strength, all right? It, it, if you don't, it, it's it's like you're trying to drive a, a drag car with a with a with a V4 instead of a V8. You know, there's just not there's not enough power. There's not enough power, and that's a, that's a uh, that comes from strength. That's a foundation of strength. Um, I think people get it twisted though. I think there's a point of diminishing returns when it comes to strength work. You know, uh, I I heard Matt Ray talking. He said 1.75 is like their threshold between them mailboxing guys. I think that's a great, a great, great jumping point. You know, everyone goes back to the the two times body weight for plyometrics. I think, you know, anywhere, I think the smaller the athlete, the higher level of relative strength they have to have. The bigger the athlete, obviously there's going to be a, a smaller ratio of that just because, you know, I can't, I got a guy that weighs 340 pounds. There's no way in the hell he's going to squat 660. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go chase that. You know, so I think that you have to have a foundational strength uh, and you have to have high levels of, of relative body strength to be fast. I think the second thing that comes along with that is is obviously the rate of force development, because because of the time stamp, because of the ground contact time being so low, uh, even in acceleration. Like you look at the first steps, of acceleration, it's like 0.25 uh, seconds. 
Like that's, that's incredibly fast. That's faster than anything we do in the weight room. That's faster than any jump that we do. Um, you know, you need high levels of rate of force development. You have, you have to develop that. Um, and then the third thing for me is coordination, right? Cause I've seen strong guys that aren't coordinated. I've seen powerful guys that aren't coordinated that can't put it together and run fast. Running has a rhythm to it. It has a coordination. You have to turn muscles on and off high, high, fast rates. Um, so you have to develop that coordination. So the three pillars are going to be relative body strength, coordination, and rate of force development. If you're, if, if you do, if you're attacking those three, your guys are going to get, your guys and girls are going to get faster. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great three to focus on. And something that you do to kind of help focus on those is, is implementation of, of different forms of technology I've seen, I've seen you use. So I guess we can kind of maybe flow into that of, uh, I, I've seen you use perch to jump mat and speed gates, I guess, are those your main three that you use? And then maybe we can kind of talk about how, um, you use those to guide your training. Yeah. So in the weight room we use, we actually have a, we're, we're outfitted with VMAX now. Okay. Okay. So we have VMAX pro, um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, is always trying to give feedback, not only to the athlete, but to me, um, I want to audit my program at all times. You know, I think people are scared to get numbers back because there is maladaptation. Like that's a reality. If, you know, it, we can say that everything we're doing is a hundred percent and it's backed by science, but really it's just a really good educated guess, you know? So there's going to be times where you guess wrong. You might think, Oh man, we're doing something great. And all of a sudden you look at, you know, some of the, the numbers that we get back, the feedback we're getting like, all right, that shit, I need to change this, this and this, <laughs> you know, we, we lost two inches on average as a team on broad jump. What's going on? You know um, you don't get that unless you test, uh, you know, testing is training, training is testing, you know, I, and I know that's been said a ton lately, but I, I think it holds true. Um, you know, you have to test. So it's something that we, tr- we test in the weight room is we have, uh, we obviously we test our, our power output. So when we do weighted jumps, when we do cleans, when we do uh, squats, there's always an emphasis on maximum power. All right. So we're always looking at that wattage. We're always looking at that barbell velocity. Um, you know, something that's cool with the VMAX is it gives you feedback on, on technical aspects too, because you also look at bar path. So again, it kind of feeds into that coordination too. Are they, are you, are you uh, maximizing your technical efficiency? Is there things that we can fix and you can see and go back and look at the history and fix those things. Um, you know, the, with the VMAX is what I love is the intent. Any, any VBT, I love the intent behind it. No matter what, if you put the number in front of a kid, all right, especially the football kids, especially our kids, our kids are extremely competitive. As soon as you put that number in front of them, they're trying to beat it. And then the guy behind them or the guy next to them is looking at that number and he's trying to beat that guy. And, it, and it, it's that old conversation, you know, who's the fastest killing team? Who's the best player in Madden? And all of a sudden it starts like a war. Well, I love it because, it, you know, it drives competitive spirit. It drives intent. It makes training fun. You know, we get that all the time. I, you know, and I, and I hype it up. I'll, I'll get with my guys and be like, all right, who's going to squat the fastest today? You know, and I start, I, I, you know, TJ, you ain't squatting fast at Corella. It ain't happening. You know, and then before you know it, they're barking back and forth. And something they're supposed to move at 0.65 is moving at 0.85. You know, and it's like, okay, there we go. You know, there's the intent and there, there's that power output. So I think having the ability to have VBT in the weight room is huge. Um, and then also in season, it's, it's, it's essential. It is essential for the prescription of weights. You can't in your right mind be able to prescribe weights for a hundred guys and just say all hundred experience the same stresses. You can't. All right. Some guys might get 20 plays. Some guys might get 15. Some guys might get 70. Some guys didn't travel. Some guys traveled, but they didn't sleep. 
I mean, it's it's all over the place. It is all over the place. It, and and as the organizational side of it alone will give you gray hairs. All right. So you can't you can't turn around. So VBT makes it easy. Because I can say, all right, this is what we're doing today. We're working at 0.65 to 0.75. My coaches are competent enough. Go out and find it. I think it's going to be 65, 70. I think so. I want nine reps at it. I want three by three. Get it done. You know, and one day, you know, one guy's, you know, that that might be, you know, touring 75 pounds. Another day he might be feeling terrible and didn't sleep and got 90 snaps. That might be touring 35 pounds. But we're going to find it. And I think that was critical. Uh, critical in keeping soft tissue injuries down and maximizing our performance. Because there's some days, especially in season, where we're like, all right, we need to maximize some of our training. Like, this kid is popping today. It's going. It's moving fast. All right, give him, feed him, give him something. You know, and there's other days where we had to back off, especially in season, um, you know. But something to always look at is we're always trying to drive that power output. I want to see, you know, if we had 80% week one and then we had 80% week five, 80% week five better move different. They better move different. Um, you know, we use just jump mats. Uh, we, we test verticals every week. Every week we do it. We do it. We do it during a workout. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter when they get it. You know, it's that we get it in. Um, you know, guys do it. They could be doing it during the – as soon as they get done warming up, they could do it in between sets of clean. I'll just tell them, hey, go over there, get two jumps, come back. You know, and if the jumps aren't great, I'll be like, yeah, those weren't good. Go get two more, you know, <laughs> until they come in and they hit something. And if I really want to get them revved up, I'll walk over there. I'll pull some people over. Man, hit something hard. Let's go, you know, and they'll they'll jump. But, uh, you know, looking at vertical jump, I look at it um, as as an indicator of, of peripheral fatigue, right? Because if a guy's super sore, he don't want to jump far. He don't want to jump high, you know. So that, that's that's the one thing I look at. And then we'll also do a, uh, a depth jump off a 12-inch box. Just to see, get a get a idea, relative relative, uh, like almost a RSI like type type uh, type data point. Just see relative um, reactor strength, reactor strength, where they're at, how they're feeling. Because one thing that stuck in my mind with Boo is he always said is elasticity goes first when you start overreaching. So that's something that we monitor and we keep a close eye on. Is we look at our top speeds in practice, specifically in season, top speeds in practice through GPS and catapult. And then we look at that 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 RSI and that depth jump as good indicators. Okay, where where is our elasticity at? Where is our reactive strength at? Because if it dives it's, in any situation, if the max speed comes down, if their max D cell comes down, and then all of a sudden I look and their depth jump is dropped down, then we have an issue. You know, we have an issue. And we have to we have to identify it. Um, you know, so those are those are two things in the weight room that we do. Uh, we also have a, a Kaiser Squat Pros. We have four of them. Um, so something that it has is it measures watts. And I was like, it looks, it's, it's a simple exercise. You get in, it's two harnesses and you just, we just have them jump. And I'm like, hit some high, go hit a, you know, and it's another way, you know, if we do three sets of three at it, it's another way to drive intent, but it's also another way to monitor, you know, um, how, how is their power output trending, you know, and it gives them something to compete in again. Again, that's all I want to do is feed their competition. Um, I, and I want them to always think fast and violent, fast and violent. So that's something that we do. Um, Something that we just did that we're going to implement is we're going to test broad jumps more frequently. You know, everyone's big on horizontal force and, and all these horizontal vectors and all that. I'm like, I 100% agree because like it's a huge indicator uh, of of acceleration in general is being able to be proficient in and producing horizontal forces. Um, you know, something I saw that uh, Max uh, Schmarza put out. You know, strong by science, he had. He had put up a, uh, a correlation chart between broad jumps and 40 times. 
And it just got me thinking. I was like, you know, wow. Like, you know, and then I hear Matt Ray talk about horizontal forces. And then I talk with Ken Clark and he's talking about 80% body weight on sled pulls and, and JB Moran's research. And, and it's like, all right, well, I want to be able to test that. I want to test it all the time. Like if I'm going to test it, it's got to be part of something we did. So we made uh, a jump mat. <laughs> we spent uh, $150 on horse stalls and we got rulers out and we got Sharpies and we made a crisp jump mat that, you know, our interns did a great job with 12 feet long. We made three of them. So now we can test broad jumps in a second. I mean, it's easy because it's got all the tick marks on it. So it takes two seconds to do that. That's something that we're going to implement. And then going back to uh, the coordination side of it, you know, Matt Ray got me thinking after I saw his presentation is, all right, what does our single leg to double leg broad jump landing look like? Because that's more of a coordination type exercise. So not only are you producing force in a horizontal vector, but now you have to do it with way more coordination because you're on a single limb. So I want to see what that looks like versus double leg. See if there's a difference between that. They, they use the ratio of 0.65. I got to play with it and collect data before I give anybody a ratio on what it, what I think it would be as far as it pertains to broad jump. But I'm really excited and curious to see how that plays out and how that looks. So again, we're, we're testing a lot of things in the weight room, but it's all filtering back to rate of force development, elasticity, which always is going and building back towards speed. Outside, um, I love uh, time and sprints. I love it. Whether it's 10s, 20s, uh, fly 10s, you know, fly 20s. If we can time it, I'm going to time it. I'm going to time it. And, and, you know, it probably drives my administration crazy because I'm always asking for more money for, for gates, for timing gates, you know, but um, the feedback is great. And then also, again, be able to audit your program. If I'm saying if my main goal is to drive acceleration early in the offseason, like I want to be able to prove that. I want to make sure that my trend is – I'm doing that through training uh, and I want to see those trend lines go the right way. You know, when I go into summer and I'm working with my skill, my mids and we're driving top speed and we're driving, you know, we're, we're trying to get a maximum velocity higher. Like I want to see those trend lines. The only way to do that is to test it. The only way to do that is to test. It. And then our kids love it because, you know, they look at it. They're all their dreams are playing the NFL. All their dreams are go to the combine, run a fast 40 and, you know, the more you get them on those timing gates, the more comfortable they become testing. The more, more comfortable they become testing, the better times you get and the better response and training you get because now the intent's higher and the anxiety comes down a little bit and they're able just to test and not be freaked out by it. You know, we can run 40s. I, I feel comfortable enough to, to pull the timing gates out. I can run a 40 anytime in my offseason mode. Anytime. I bet you. After week two, let's go. We can run a 40. Um, you know, and our kids feel the same way because of that, the, the, the comfortable uh, nature they have now with the, with the timing gates because they've seen them so many times. Um, you know, if we look at, you know, with the timing, you know, are our trends going the right way? If they're not, what's the deal? What's the problem? What's the issue? You know, if I, if we're running 10, three weeks in a row and they're not starting to come down a little bit, all right, is my weight room volume too high? You know, or is my plyometric volume too high? Or was it too much in the first week or the second week? Is that accumulated fatigue starting to build on them? All these different things. Um, but without it, I mean, it, it's a dashboard. You, you got to have a dashboard. Like, you know, it drives me crazy because, you know, people are like, oh, we don't test anything. I'm like, you wouldn't get in your car and put a cardboard over your dashboard, would you, and, and then try to drive? Like, you know, you're going to get a speeding ticket or your oil's, you know, your engine's going to blow up because you don't know your oil's gone. I'm like, the same thing happens for these athletes, you know, and and uh, with the availability of affordable technology all over the place, like, it's, it's, it's crazy that majority of these bigger universities aren't attacking this and getting ahead of the curve. You know, and, and then what's going to happen is, is people are going to complain when universities assign sports scientists strictly 
sports scientists to, to oversee departments when they could have been ahead of it and collaborated more and uh, built up their knowledge base and showed proficiency in providing data and using all these different technology models to enhance performance. So, you know, it's to me, it's just, it's a coming of age. Like it's going to happen whether you want it to or not. So you better get on board and comfortable using it now versus later, you know? Yeah. I really like your analogy there with the dashboard in the car. It makes, makes total sense. Um, I guess kind of going back to a couple of things we mentioned there uh, beforehand, uh, velocity-based training, you, you said you really like to implement that and use that a lot um, necessary in season. How do you make sure or how do you implement it with a, a full team of football players and how do you make that work as smooth as possible? Yeah, I think you got to have uh, – with, with football players, you know, you got to have the right coach to, to play a ratio. So to me, like we don't have large groups. Our, our biggest group is going to be 30 people in a room and I got five coaches plus interns plus or minus like, you know, like I got three interns plus or minus three, you know what I'm saying? Like at all times. So we have like 11 people on staff majority of the time, which is not realistic for a high school coach or for, you know, a private sector coach training multiple guys. Um, so we keep our group small, right? We do it for multiple reasons. A, I want, I want more hands on with each athlete. Uh, I want to be able to see every rep. I want to be able to coach every rep. I want to get more out of the kid. But then also that same aspect is now we're able to test and make testing more efficient and we're able to use this, this technology more efficiently, right? If there, if I go 50 people in a group, that's a nightmare. I got six, I got five guys at a rack. They're all trying to swipe their name. They're all trying to move in versus if I got, you know, maybe maximum two to three at a rack, you know, maybe that. You know, I got 15 racks. You know, I, I don't, I don't, sometimes I don't have to use all three of the racks that I'm assigned to that I use. You know, I, it's, it's a lot more of efficient of a process um, when the group is smaller and that ability to use it. You know, uh, our system that we use, the VMAX, even when we had the perch, a lot of these systems now are becoming more user friendly too. You know, we work at an extremely high tempo. Like our, our workouts are 45 minutes. Right? You know, we start to end, we're rolling, we're going. Um, and, you know, the simplicity of the app, is, is that's always a benefit, you know, with, with VMAX, all you got to do is swipe with, with perch. I remember all you got to do is click the next name. Um, I've even used gym aware before. I think it's a swipe now too, you know, they, all these companies have made it easier and, and more efficient to use, um, you know, and then obviously the ability to go back and change weights, I think is something that helps me out, especially with VMAX is you're able to go back in history and if there is, say, the kid didn't, I didn't put the weight in for the kid or the kid used the wrong name, I could delete an entire set or I can transfer it to another kid or I can turn around and change the weight. So that's always good too because, you know, we're not, it's not, there's never going to be perfect, mm-hmm. especially, you know, if I ask, I ask our guys, you know, I mean, it's hard for them to chew bubble gum and walk at the same time <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, it, it's, but you know, it, it makes it easier because you could go back and look at it, especially our racks. They're like, okay, I had, you know, I had, I had Jay Mitch on rack one. He definitely didn't do 205. He definitely did 275. Let me change this. And that's where, to me, like I haven't gone fully VBT, right? Like I haven't gone full VBT in training because I still believe that there is a need for percentages. I, it's it's the roadmap. And then, you know, the VBT helps me, helps guide me and fine tune it but I still think there needs to be that roadmap in place. So if I need to go back and change anything, I know what numbers I walked off, worked off of. I know what group he was in. I know what rack he was on. So it's pretty simple to, to, to clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then 
maybe can we expand a little bit on your kind of the elasticity going down and how you monitor that and what you would change and, and kind of the implications of that? Cause I thought that was kind of an interesting point that um, you said boo brought up. Yeah. So I'm um, in the off season, uh, you know, we monitor dev jumps. Like I said, we get them once a week. Um, and then obviously we, 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 we look and compare them to our speed numbers and our GPS data. So we look at the high speed yardage, we look at our maximum velocities. Um, and then we look at all our, all our splits. Um, you know, and one thing that we saw was, is when our guys got beat up, the first thing that popped, the first thing that showed was a depth jump went down, depth jump went down and it was a 12 inch box. It was, it's, it's not a 30 inch box. It's a 12 inch box. Um, and what we do is, is, is we want them to hit at least, uh, 90% of what their regular vertical jump is. That is like our standards to say, okay, the kid is fresh. He feels good. All right, kid jumps 36, you know, I don't, my math, he needs to jump at least at 33. I think that's 90%. They don't hold me to it, but, you know, he needs to hit this. This is the threshold, right? Um, once they start falling below that threshold, we'll ding the kid and we'll put a red flag on him and we'll look at it. And then we'll look at the data uh, from the previous run and see, okay, what was his high-speed yardage? What was his miles per hour? Okay, well, it's three miles per hour. Way, it's way less than what he normally hits. What's the deal? You know, and then there's a conversation. You go talk to the kid. What's going on? Because, you know, you, you might be hiding something. You know, the, a lot of these kids, they want to show how tough they are, and they want they don't want to go to the training room, or they don't want to tell you something because they think that you're going to think a certain way. So to us, it's like, all right, what, what's going on? Oh, well, I have a sore hamstring. Okay, easy. That's done. You know, we'll take care of that. We'll limit your reps. We'll get you extra treatment. You know, we'll, we'll take these interventions. You'll be good. You know, next workout, we'll kill it. And then we'll test it again. Or it could be, you know, just, you know, kid didn't do, he just didn't have a great day. You know, that happens too, you know, or, Hey, you know, yeah, coach, you know what? I was staying up all night studying, right? Coach, you know what? When my girlfriend flew back into town, you know, whatever it was, you know, it's a conversation. And then we have interventions based off those conversations. You know, it, it could be the kid just gave terrible effort. You know, you're not, you, you deal with that at times too, you know, and, but that's the beauty of, of testing all of it is, you could, you, you know, you could go find answers versus if you didn't test at all, you would never know that kid had, he didn't do anything that day or he was hurt or he's not living right in the, you know, off the field or whatever it might be. So um, in season, uh, we try to, we try to, my threshold is I want them to hit at least 90% of their, their maximum velocity in pads every time we have a hard practice. So our hard practices are Tuesday and Wednesday. Those are our main stimulus practices during the week. I want them to hit 90%. So if they don't hit 90%, that brings up a flag. Then I go look at their depth jump, and usually their depth jump is lower. It's down. It's, it's not in that 90% bracket. Um, you know, so we go and I talk directly to the position coaches. You know, if it's later in the week, there's not much you're going to do from restricting from a practice standpoint. So you got to just up the, the, the recovery modalities, and you got to talk to kids. Sometimes you got to talk to the kid in the coming. All right, hey, come in. Come get body tempered. Come get rolled out. Come get extra treatment. You know, whatever it might be, get in the recovery boots. Uh, whatever it is, and then you gotta, you know, you 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 hope and pray the kids climbs back up out of it. You know, if, if it's um, multiple weeks in a row, you know, then it could be the you know, kids hiding an injury or there's something else going on. There's something serious going on, and then that's a deeper conversation. Um, but again, like I said, usually the first thing that appears is that that jump drops, that elasticity drop, uh, elasticity drops before you start to see those speed numbers come down and all those other things come down, you know, and it, and it is revealing like a kid gets a, you might even have a sore ankle, not even a sprained ankle. And that depth jump might come down three, four inches, you know, just from knowing and it. 
it aids because we're not here to prove how tough the kid is. We're here to make sure the kid plays well on Saturday. That's all I care about. I want him to perform well. You know, and it's like, okay, well, you got a sore ankle. All right, thanks for telling me now when you're jumping versus going to see the trainer on Sunday in medical check. All right, let's get this thing addressed. All right, we'll go single leg training on you and, you know, or we'll change. You want no plyometric activity today and we'll move on, you know. So um, it's a great tool and it's an easy tool because it's, I mean, again, it's a 12-inch box. There's not much to it. You get one number. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a easy, simplistic way to monitor multiple things with – you know, one number, one test, as you mentioned there. Moving forward, I guess I want to kind of talk about, we mentioned, you know, your three main pillars of speed development with your your relative strength, the coordination, and your rate of force development. And then we kind of talked about ways you monitor all those. If we peel the back one more step, would you say there's anything specifically you look at before you're trying to get the speed and testing all those specific numbers? Is there anything that you kind of focus on initially to then move forward into those things? Yeah, I think I think the first thing that has to happen is is kids have to you have to drive technique. I think that's first and foremost. You have to coach everything. So, um, you know, technical proficiency. It, and this is why I love Dan Pat because he said there's bandwidths of it, right? Like you have to just fit that certain bandwidth because not, not everyone's going to look the same. But for us, you know, my, my goal with all our kids, whether you look at us on the field or you look at us in the, in the weight room, it doesn't matter what kid it is. You're like, wow, all these kids move relatively well. Uh, they all have pretty good technically they, – they're, they're technically efficient um, and they move well. So the, before we get into any tech, we're going to te- teach them like they don't know anything. You know, uh, specifically in the weight room, we're going to teach them how to squat. We're going to teach them uh, how to deadlift. We're going to teach them how to do a pull-up, a press, a pull, everything. You know, we're going to break it down like they don't know anything. They might be really well-versed, and some kids are, and they get pissed off, but then they understand why, and they advance faster. Some kids, especially here in Florida, like Florida's not a huge powerlifting community, you know, so kids come in, and they don't know how to squat. Uh, they don't know how to clean. You know, they don't know how to do snatches. They don't know how to do these different things. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure they know how to do things. You know, and that might take two weeks. That might take three weeks. Um, you know, so once they understand that, we get a technique max on them, you know, and we get a, a technical max so that we can train now because you can't train until you teach them how to move and then prescribe the right loads for that kid because it's not really training. It's just learning. I mean, yes, they're getting better. And there's some progressive overload to it each week, but it's not real training like the rest of the athletes are doing, um, you know, so we'll get them to move better. We'll get a technical max on them and then we'll move into the next phase, which would be, again, uh, a more simplified version of what we're doing with our regular population with our football team. And then as they progress through that and they're at, it's all at different rates. Again, I got kids that have trained that have training ages of five and six years coming out of high school because they had good strength coaches. Like I'm not going to hold them in a beginner's program for a year. Like if that kid's ready, he's ready. Like, let me, I only got four years with him and people are like, Oh yeah, that's a long, that's not a long time. Mm-hmm. That is not a long time with the calendars we have. Let me get them in regular training. Let's drive them. Let's go. Um, you know, so as soon as they start to progress out of those early training phases, we could get them into the VBT. We could get them. Now, all of them are doing the jump, jump testing. All of them do the jump testing. Um, we do have GPS units. So on the field, we do have GPS units on a lot of our new guys just to get baseline numbers on. So, if they, you know, knock on wood, an injury does occur and we have to go into return to play mode. We know what the, the previous base was prior to their injury. 
you know, um, we, we're blessed because we have 50-some units here at Catapult. You know, I know a lot of schools aren't as blessed as we are, but that gives us the ability to do that and, and to put it on new guys and, and get that base. Um, you know, uh, as far as speed development goes, um, you know, as we try to we, we try to integrate them as smoothly as possible. Uh, my philosophy is, 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 you know, they it's easier to coach the speed work part of it, right? Because all of them have ran before, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All of them have sprinted. Um, so you can fine tune that a little faster. And, and a lot of our early progressions are heavy sleds and those things. And, you know, we use a ton of wickets early on. Um, you know, we do a ton of bleed drills. We do a ton of A runs and, and different things like that. Our warm up alone is meant to give context to our, our sprint work that's coming up and to help with technical proficiency. So them just doing the warm up alone is going to give them a better understanding of what we're looking for when we're and the shapes we're looking for once we actually start sprinting. Um, so you know, we don't we don't hold them at uh, we don't progress them as slowly as we do in the weight room as we do on the field. You know, we get after it, you know, we might pull the kid aside and explain things a little bit further to him and let him understand, but he's got to be able to run and he's got to be able to, and we can be able to got to train specifically that. Cause if the weight room is low, there's always that balance of intensity and volume, but the weight room intensity is low because we're not loading them because they don't have that type of proficiency. It's got to come from somewhere else. And that's where early on you could get that stimulus through sprinting, through uh, acceleration drills, through heavy sleds and all you could increase rate of force on the power through those heavy sleds. So, and those are things that they're familiar with. And to be honest with you, a lot of those drills that we use, you know, they're, they're, you don't have to coach them as bad as that sounds like you feel wickets more than I have to coach wickets. I could say, Hey, you got to get your knee up, step straight down in the bucket, posture, all those things. But as soon as you do it, you feel it. Like you're going to feel it. Um, same thing with the sled, a heavy sled. I could be like, all right, you got to push behind you. You got to really work on that power line and that posture and those angles. But you're not going to move it unless you get into that posture and you, you develop those those angles and push back behind you, behind your center of mass. So, you know, giving them uh, good drills that give them good context for what we're looking for from a technical standpoint. I think that kind of it checks all those boxes. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Now, when you're working towards your goal of speed and you have your weight room and your field work, how do you kind of determine, you know, which one you prioritize in different parts of the season and just in general? What, where do you kind of go about when thinking about that? Yeah, so again, I, my, my whole goal is to, to make a fast and violent team, fast and explosive. That's that's my main goal. So, um, you know, understanding that, we also know that, like, again, you need high high levels of relative body strength to be faster, to move faster. You got to be able to move your own inertia. That you need strength. Where does that come from? From the weight room. So early offseason, um, it's 50-50. So I, I don't look at it in terms of – if you looked at our time durations, they're the same, an hour and an hour. But when I look at it, I look at – uh, volume prescription. It's 50, 50. All right. Um, as we move out of that early off season mode, I would say probably week four to week six in that area, it becomes 60, 40. We're spending 60% of our volume on, on the field work, 40% on the weight room. And then once we get into summer, it's the, the lowest I'll go in the weight room is 30%. So it'd be 70, 30, you know, um, especially with our skill guys. Now it's tapered because my big guys don't train like my skill guys. You know, my mids are in the middle. You know, I love mids because they're, they are. They're in the middle of both skill and mid. They both they need attributes big guys have that, that are KPIs for big guys and the attributes that skill guys have. Um, but for our skill guys, and that's that's the ones when I'm talking about these prescriptions and these volumes and everyone else is tapered from there, 
that's what I'm talking about. So we'll get into the uh, we'll get into the summertime, and it's 70-30. You know, I want them. Yeah, I mean, we got to be able to run fast, fast. I want to separate ourselves when it comes to speed. And then also you talk about the inoculation of soft tissue injuries. Well, how do you provide that? Through exposures to uh, maximum velocity and exposures to high velocity cuts, the accelerations, accelerations. So we're going to get that and, and we're going to do a lot of it. We're going to do a lot of it in that summer summer block. Yeah, okay. I guess do you use any other than sleds and wickets and so on like that? Is is it a lot of speed work specifically, a lot of technique work, a lot of, I guess, constraints work, as you mentioned, or combination of all, or does it kind of change throughout the, the seasons as it goes along? As we get closer to season, we get more in the summer, it's more free sprinting. So it'll go for yeah. more contextual work. Like you said, some restricted work into more free sprinting. And some that, you know, I talked with Ken Clark the other week about, and, um, you know, he, he was talking about, he uh, he basically did force velocity profiles on all every single combine athlete, and the ones that ran the fastest had the best acceleration profiles, right? Like no no brainer right there. But the ones hit top speed. So his theory is is if you increase maximum velocity, you're going to increase acceleration profile anyway. Um, so as we got into summer with our skill guys, we did strictly we did some some technical drills like we did wickets. Uh, you know, uh, spikes only Carl, we did some drum drill and some of those things. And, um, but for the most part, it was just a different variation of flights flies, to be honest with you. It was, all right, let's warm up. Let's do, we'll do uh, a plyometric. We'll do maybe a contextual drill. And then we're going to run, we're going to run fast. You know, we're going to do a fly 20 with a 20 yard build, or we're going to do, uh, you know, we'll do, uh, a fly 10 with a 40 yard build and just see how fast you go. Or maybe, some we did this year with the GPS is, is, all right, hey, you have 100 yards to your max speed. I didn't tell them where or when. I said, hit your max speed. I said, and try to hold it for as long as you can. And I had, in that one session alone, I had three guys hit over 23 miles an hour. You know, and I was, and that's GPS catapult. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, this is, this is different. This is awesome, you know. And it actually came from the coaches prescribing a relay race after one of our workouts. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, the football coaches got it right one time. I was like, wow, this is a good idea. Let me try this, you know, and uh, but we're just going to run, you know. And, and the funny thing is, is we did that in the offseason last summer and we tested 20s the last two weeks and we had more PR, more personal records broken in the last two weeks than we did all the offseason in the spring. And it was like a high moment, like, OK, like we focused on all this top speed mechanics. We didn't even get in a three point start until we tested 20s and we're still running our fastest 20s that we ever ran. You know, and that's where it was like, okay, like as we get closer to the sport, like I need to go, we need to attack that. And then I look at our, our injury report and I look at uh, our soft our, our, our soft tissue injuries. We only lost one full game to any soft tissue injury last year. And really it was two halves. It was one kid, a second half of one game, one kid, second half of another game. And it was, and that, that's unbelievable to me. And that's just a, a testament to how our kids train and how they attack the in-season training. And then coaches planning and planning in-season but it was also because we inoculated a lot of these injuries and we made an emphasis in, in, in season to still run fast. Um, so these guys were used to it. You know, they were used to, to these top speeds and getting upright. They were used to extremely fast decelerations, reaccelerations. Um, and that really helped us as far, from an injury standpoint as well. Uh, but yeah, like I said, you know, we can't, you can't just walk in the door and, and run a, a fly 10 with a 40 yard build. You got to be smart. Well, what's the easiest way to do that? That's restricted with to do uh, resisted uh, towing or pushing, right? Like you, you put a 20, 
20 pound chain on somebody, they're still not, they're not going to reach the speeds that they would if they were, if they were unresisted, you know, and that's just kind of common sense type stuff, you know, and, and we go short the long with our progression. So we're doing a ton of tens and twenties early in the off season and we'll branch out the, uh, to thirties and forties. And even with our fly tens, I'll go short the long, I'll go 10 yard build with a 10 yard old and build from there based off what I see in our times and all these different things. And, uh, you know, are they able to handle it? Do they look fresh in the warm up? Are they are they talking crap back and forth? You know, you know, something that Tony Holler, you know, he he does is they make that tunnel. We do that, we do that by accident because usually they're just talking trash about how fast they are than the other guy going at the time. You know, so but you know, it's it, it creates a fun environment and then also again it, it creates a safe environment. If you do it short to long, uh, and then you build up the intensity just like you win the weight room, like you know, you wouldn't come in and max out and squat. Well, you shouldn't just come in and run a 40. Like, that's the same thing, you know, and I think there's enough research and data out there now to to kind of kind of get connected to as far as from an intensity and a percentage standpoint. You know, like Ken Clark said, 80 80 percent of, of combines, uh, the, the their acceleration profiles or their velocity profiles at 10 yards. Um, all of those all those combine athletes, for the most part, were at 80 percent of their maximum velocity right at 20 yards at roughly 90 percent. So that tells you everything you need to know. Like, I'm not going to come out and go run a 30-yard 30, 30 time sprint, or I'm not going to run a fly 10 with a 20-yard with a build off the get. Just go, here you go, you're ready for it, week one. You know, but as I build up, yeah, like I could go 10s, 20s, and then, you know, I could get into week four, week five after we've had a decent amount of training, you know, fly, fly 20s with a 30-yard or 40-yard build. Yeah, let's get after it. Let's see where they're at. You know, and then the, the training effect of that is, is tremendous. It's it's unbelievable, you know, and it lasts a while. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point you brought up there is a lot of people think about training, whether that be technique work or weight room training to then, I guess, drive sprinting, or as you're saying, even just doing the sprinting, you know, is training to do the sprinting, and, and that's a, a whole training modality in itself of, of just sprinting. Um, would you agree with on that? I would. I mean, whatever you do the most of, you're going to get the best at Yep, yep. You know, so the more you sprint, the better you are going to be at sprinting. And to me, it's like, it's frustrating at times because like, you know, I love big cleans and big squats and big benches, just like the rest. I'm a meathead at heart, right? Like I love it, you know, but what gets me more excited is having, you know, I think we have 47 guys that run a 1.03 or under in a fly tent with a 10, with a four, with a 30 yard bill, you know? That's what gets me excited. I'm like, that's that's awesome. Like, that's what I want to see. And that's what translates to the field. You know, I mean, to me, that's that you you look at and you look at all these great players and you break down positionally what makes them what makes them who they are, right? Like, and it's like power, speed, power, speed, power, speed. Yeah, you have to have the anthropometrics, right? You oh, I mean, need to be a certain size, certain height, but there's a lot of them that are the same height and size. What's the difference between the guy that goes to the league and the guy that doesn't, you know? And, I, you know, I've had the fortune of, of training, of being a part of training for some really great athletes, you know, really great athletes. And, and from O-line to D-line to all these, the one thing I could always go back and look at and say, and this is my own personal experience and my own personal opinion was, is they were always way more explosive than what they were supposed to be for that size. It was like, why are you that big and that explosive? Like, that doesn't make sense, you know? And obviously, the technical aspect of the sport plays a huge part of it, you know? But 
the athletic side of it, like if you were to take the technical side out of it, that's what usually what made the difference and made them special. You know, this kid, how are you 6'1", you know, 230 and that fast? You know, that was the difference. It was like, wow, that kid, he just, it's different. You know, why is this kid that explosive? Like every time he tackles somebody, it's like a, like a car crash, you know, like it's, it's unbelievable, you know? So to me, it's like, that's what I want to drive. That's what I'm searching for, you know? Yeah. And, and how do I do that? How do I run? How do we do as much maximum velocity work as safely as possible without getting kids hurt? That's what I'm going to do because, you know, Buddy Moore said it, you know, the, the, the speed work takes the, the ceiling off the weight room. And it's 100% true because, you know, we go look back in the summertime and it's like, well, we upped our squat average by 25 pounds on average as a team. And we weren't emphasizing back squats. Well, what happened? You know, we increased our relative body strength because of sprinting because it provides that stimulus. We increased our rate of force development. We increased our acceleration abilities, you know, all these different things. And what happened? The byproduct was we got relative body strength went up. The byproduct was is that our verticals went up because we were leaner and more explosive than we were previously because we're sprinting more. So, yeah, I think, you know, sprinting in general, like you get better at what you emphasize and what you do most. And to me, it's like that makes the most sense. You know, in a game that is based on speed and power and running around and covering ground, creating space or closing space, like you need, that's what you should emphasize. Yeah, no, that that is a great point. Um, I guess we'll finish on one one thing here. So w- with you having so much of data, of this data and so many things you monitor and look at, um, how, how do you best, I guess, organize that to structurally to think about it um, and, and make changes off that and so on? Because it is a lot of stuff to process, but you seem to be really organized and able to, to look at it and monitor and change and, and adapt as, as, as necessary. Yeah, it's something it, it, it could be overwhelming at times when you get all this data and, you're, you know, um, something that we looked at this year and we revamped and organized our performance. So we have performance profiles to Excel. Uh, something that we just made. And, and again, like you said, like, you know, you have depth jump numbers, you have four jump numbers, you have all these different times and, and all this VBT data and all that. Well, what do you do? So what I did was I just simplified it. I made a Madden score, a Madden score, essentially. Like I made performance. Uh, I was like, all right, you're 80 out of 10. So what I did was I created based off combine averages and based off people I trust, uh, I got testing data from all over the place, Right. So running back, I, I created what an elite running back is, what the combine average running back is, what a starter or all-conference player should be, and then what is poor. Like what is the minimum threshold to be a Division one athlete? And what I did was is I made arbitrary numbers, you could call it whatever, and, and essentially I took – so say I got a running back, elite is 4-3, right? 4-3-7 is an elite running back. If you can run a 40 at 4-3-7, that's unbelievable, that's elite, Right. He goes to the combine and does that. People are talking about him. He's probably getting drafted in the first three rounds. So I said, okay, let me take my running back's times and get the percentage of, of that, all right? So if my running back runs, you know, I'm not going to use numbers and do math in my head. Say it's 80%, okay? So I'm going to take 80%. Then I'm going to look at his fly 10 time. How right? does that compare to an elite running, that elite number, right? If he's, you know, if that's 80%, and then I'm going to give him a score of it. I'm going to uh, get all those percentages and I'm going to take a percentage or I'm going to take an average of those percentages. So if all those equal all my speed metrics, you know, he's 80, 80, 80, 80. Guess what? His speed is 80. And I did that for speed. I did that for power. I did that for elasticity. I did that for mobility. Um, and I actually did that for character too, but you know, that's harder to work on than the other ones. Um, <laughs> but, and that's how we attack it. So now we mailbox guys. All right. So, okay. You know, it's, 
his his strength rating is 72. Well, obviously, that needs to come up, especially if he's a big guy, right? And, and his speed rating is, in, is an 80, and his power rating is a 75. And then you go back, and it gives you uh, it gives you a, a blueprint to kind of attack what what this kid needs more of. You know, I, I've gone in and played in my head. You know, with the with the um, you know explosive stri- the, the, the DSI dynamic strength index and, and ESD and just Warski's work. And I'm like, this is just a simple way of doing all that. I'm doing the same thing. I'm mailboxing kids. I'm, and, then, and then we adjust some of the things we do. Not all of the things, but some of the things we do. Um, but, you know, to me, that's how we utilize the data in a more efficient way is we created those profiles. And then, you know, what the byproduct of it was is kids are seeing how much better they've, they've got. You know, they're seeing their numbers. And the, our buy-in is just – it skyrockets. You want kids to buy in, show progress. You know, I love doing before and after pictures. You know, like everyone's like, oh, well, you know, they worked out and they, of course, they're going to look bigger. Yeah. But you know what it does to that kid's confidence when he sees he's gained 20 pounds and he looks different, you know, and he feels different. And all of a sudden, his buy-in to my program is way higher. He's like, yeah, my Coach Joe's gave me right. Look at that. And then, you know, you get the Instagram pick, you get the shout out, and, you know, Coach Joe gave me right and all that. And it's good for the program, you know, because then – because. Again, it's, it, it comes back to confidence. You need to build confidence as much as you need to build their physical attributes. You need to build their confidence up going into season. You want them to, you want them to, to feel and know that what they're doing is worth it and it's working. You know, and that's the byproduct of the data and the performance profiles. But, yeah, that's something we revamped because I was like, man, we have all this data and we're doing some good things with it. Yeah, we are. But there's no – I like to systemize things. I like to create systems and strategies. And – I was like, systemize it, make it easy, give them these man scores, like, and they 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 understand it a lot better than you know. Oh, hey, your four jump is is you know your ground contact is point four. That's terrible. Like they're like, what the hell is that? I don't know. Hey, your 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 reactive your 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 bounciness is like a seventy. We got to fix that. Oh, okay, coach, I got you. <laughs> like it's way easier to interpret, and then it's easier for the coaches to understand. You know, and that's another thing because then. You get the reinforcement from the coaches. Hey, I just saw your ratings. Dude, you got a 70 on power, man. You better be killing power cleans and you'd be killing your jumps and your bed ball toss. You better get after them. You know, and, and it educates our coaches too. And it helps again that that the the entire organization um, you know, cap the, uh, like take this speed philosophy and, and now it's 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 through the entire organization and they all they all buy into it and use it. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like the Madden scores. It's a, it's an interesting way to to make it work and make it more simplistic for everyone and easy to understand across across everyone. So, yeah, that's that's great. Um, well, thank you very much for taking the time to be on. Uh, I know you have a an Instagram account that you like to share information on, so I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, th- thanks again. Really appreciate it and appreciate your knowledge. No, appreciate it. And like I said, anybody that's listening, if you- reach out. Like I'm a, I'm an open book. If anyone wants anything, I try to share as much as possible because I'm not doing anything new. Uh, I'm just doing, I'm stealing from a lot of smart, a lot smarter people than myself. So, um, you know, just reach out anyway, email or Instagram, wherever it is. Yep. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much again. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.